0: Last week, if you remember, uh, Lyman preached from the book of John, chapter 18, and he spoke of the cup that Jesus drank, that Jesus drank from, his calling here on earth, why he was put here. And he used this really cool illustration uh, that spoke to the choices that we have, and he used uh, two wine glasses, one filled with clear water and the other filled with this concoction of like seven or eight different drinks, and Lyman actually drank from it. And that was such a powerful message. And I I think I'm going to borrow that message someday somewhere that I preach. And then there's chapter 19. And chapter 19 takes us through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And it takes us through uh, past the arrest and the beating and the torture and the mocking that he endured and that he was nailed to the cross. And as significant and important as chapter 19, the crucifixion is, My message today is actually coming from chapter 20. And chapter 20 is about the resurrection. You know, I believe that uh, not taking anything away from the crucifixion, because it is a very powerful event and very significant event, but I think that even more important, if I can even say that, than Jesus' death is his resurrection. Because if Jesus died on the cross and he stayed dead, there would be no hope for us for us Christians. And that's why I love the story of the empty tomb. Uh, If you would uh, just bow our heads today so we can open in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity, Father, to bring forth your message, Lord. And I just ask that you would use me, Father God, that you would speak through me. Holy Spirit, have your way. Father, help us to know the power of the resurrection that because Jesus lives, that we can face tomorrow and everything that it brings. That we can do all that you have called us to do and to do it well. Amen. All right. And so chapter 20, I just want to summarize for you verses 1 through 18. And actually, that song that Kenny wrote is it. And uh, chapter 20 in the book of John opens up with Mary And Mary, it's early uh, Sunday morning, and Mary is going to the tomb. She wants to see Jesus, the, the body of Jesus. And she gets to the tomb, and she realizes that the stone has been rolled away, and that the body of Jesus is gone. And she's upset by this, and so she runs back, and she tells Simon Peter, and the Bible says the other disciple, what she saw or didn't see, that Jesus' body was gone. And then the three of them take off running again back to the tomb. And they get there and they see indeed that Jesus' body is gone. And Peter and the other disciple that the Bible talks about doesn't know what to make of this. See, they don't understand the resurrection yet. And so they head back to where they came from. But Mary is still there. She's still at the tomb. And she's still upset, very upset, that Jesus' body is gone. And she's crying, and she looks in there, and she sees the two angels, and they ask her, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she says, I'm looking for my Lord. And Mary notices a man standing outside, and she doesn't realize yet that it's Jesus. And she's crying, and she thinks it's the gardener. And she says, Have you seen my Lord? Have you taken his body? Tell me where so that I can go and get him. And Jesus says, Mary. And local style, it would be, Mary, hello, it's me, Jesus. But he doesn't say that. He's very compassionate, and he says, Mary. And she looks at him, and she realizes that it's Jesus. And she wants to run up and hug him. But Jesus says, do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father But go and tell my brothers what you have seen. And so Mary does that. And that's where I want to pick it up in John chapter 20, verse 19 through 29, which says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen. So let's break it down and take a look back at Verse 19, where Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. That's interesting. The disciples are now meeting behind locked doors. They are now full of fear. Where it was once popular to be with Jesus and to be out and about, to see and be seen with Jesus, The Jesus who performed miracles. The Jesus who fed the thousands with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. The Jesus who caused the blind to see. The Jesus who caused the lame to walk. The Jesus who even raised the dead, for goodness sakes. See, the disciples thought that Jesus was going to establish his kingdom here on earth and that they would be his cabinet, so to speak. They were arguing back in a former message. I told you about how they were arguing about who amongst them would be the greatest next to Jesus. But now, their Jesus was dead. And now, they meet behind closed, locked doors, fearful that they would be next. Next to be arrested. Next to be beaten. Next to be tortured, mocked, crucified. In fact, when that happened to Jesus, the disciples all deserted him. All except for John. You see, to walk with Jesus and to preach the gospel... The disciples were initially devastated at the news of Jesus' death. But now to know that he has risen from the dead, they are overjoyed to see that Jesus is alive. You know, that might have freaked me out. I mean, imagine that, right? The way the disciples are meeting behind closed doors. If you would imagine that today, that we are all here, that we're here in this room meeting, having church that we lock these doors, that we close all the windows just like it is right now, and that maybe we even barricade the doors because we are afraid. We're afraid of what's out there. We're afraid to be attacked for our faith in Christ, for our Christian beliefs. We're afraid of what those outside might do to us. And actually, that's not so far-fetched in today's world. But we're doing this And imagine that we're in our fear, in the midst of our fear, that Jesus comes right through. And it's just like, whoosh. And he appears right here next to me on stage. And he says to us, peace be with you. Oh, that would be chicken skin. You see, even though the disciples tried to lock everyone and everything else out, Jesus comes right through and he tells them, "'Peace be with you.'" Isn't that amazing? Jesus, who these guys deserted when he was arrested and then crucified, he still loved his disciples so much that when he arose from the tomb, he knew their situation, he knew their fear, and he seeks them out to encourage them and to comfort them. Like, who does that? If it were me, and I was arrested, and I was beaten and I was tortured, and I was crucified, and on top of all of that, if my family and my friends deserted me, if they rejected me, if they denied me, I don't know that when I reappeared to them that I would be saying, peace be with you. I might be saying a little bit different. The reality is, even today, The consequences for picking up your cross and following Jesus can be harsh. I want to share with you this video about a pastor named Saeed Abedini, who for the past three years has been held prisoner because of his faith in God and because of his relentless commitment to spreading the gospel. Let's watch this video.
1: Their love story began in Iran. Nagme, an American citizen since early childhood, believed God was leading her to return to her homeland in 2001 to minister to Muslim women. That's where she first saw Saeed Abedini. The young preacher was leading worship at one of the underground house churches he helped form. What made you fall in love with him?
2: His passion. I think as a young woman, I always prayed, I said, Lord, I can't marry someone who's mediocre (laughs) i want to marry someone who is passionate for you but i I mean i had no idea how how he would answer my prayer (laughs) i I had no idea it would be so radical
1: not long afterwards the two married in iran their wedding drew hundreds of well-wishers and aroused the suspicion of the iranian revolutionary guard well, our wedding, our union was a miracle because
2: we were both Muslim converts and they allowed us to have a Christian union. Bibles were passed out, um, Jesus film videos were passed out, and many people came to know Christ, hundreds. Well, it takes a special
1: bride to be able to w- be willing to share her big well, day.
2: Jesus shine, which made me happy. Yes, I mean, you imagine that day, it's going to be all about you, and it wasn't. It was just <laughs> a big, uh, big, I mean, it was amazing. It was what we both would have wanted for a wedding.
1: But nine years and two children later, four-year-old Jacob and six-year-old Rebecca, Nagmeh is now living her worst nightmare. Last July, during one of Saeed's routine trips to Iran to establish a government-approved orphanage, he was detained and put under house arrest. Then, in January, the Iranian Revolutionary Court's so-called hanging judge sentenced him to eight years in Iran's brutal and deadly Evin prison. His crime? Preaching the gospel. I've had, um,
2: during the revolution, people who we knew and also family members um, who were um, hanged in that prison and killed and abused and raped.
1: Before he was sentenced, Saeed could Skype with his family. Now they have no personal contact, only reports and letters from family members in Iran. The latest telling them that Saeed is being tortured and pressured to renounce his Christian faith.
2: I said to myself, "They don't know who they're dealing with." <laughs> he uh, said, "Came from a very radical Muslim background, and he's very. Um, since he accepted Christ, and his life changed, um, he was very um, committed. It doesn't matter what beatings he goes through. It Doesn't matter if they say we're going to kill you."
1: As as a wife, what's been the hardest part of all of this for you?
2: The Lord has given me grace to go to His presence and just get my comfort and. And uh, but as a mom, every, it's just every time this, it's like a stab in my heart when I see them struggling, and I can't do anything about it. My son is very; I, his character has changed 100% since um, the arrest. He won't talk as much. He's very reserved. And then my daughter, she just cries a lot. What does this say?
1: Because I
2: miss you,
1: Dad. And these are your tears. Yeah. Nagme admits, at first, she sank into despair. I was in the edge
2: of extreme depression and anxiety and worry, and I could see that where I was almost being broken, like just, I would have (laughs) had to check myself in, but the Lord didn't let me break. I clung to him and I cried out to him, I said, Lord, in Philippians, you promise you will give peace beyond understanding. And he gave me, he gave me that peace, and so the scripture is true. I just want people to know that um, if they cling to Him and believe in His Scripture and just don't let Him go, like hold on tight, He's going to get you through whatever it is.
0: Amen. Isn't that incredible? What Pastor Said has endured for the sake of Christ—being falsely accused, imprisoned for an eight-year sentence, tortured. Missing your family, his family, and maybe that's even the worst of it. You know, um, for us as, as parents, to miss your spouse and your children, that can be the hardest thing. When you're missing the birthdays, the special events, the Christmases, all those, uh, all those uh, times that you can never get back. And it's so amazing how Pastor Saeed, even then, continues to stand strong for Jesus. No, I believe that it is because of the empty tomb, it is because Jesus rose from the dead, that Pastor Saeed can endure his current situation. He chooses this cup, as Lyman so perfectly illustrated last week, Sunday. Pastor Saeed was actually offered uh, release from prison by the Iranian officials if he would renounce his faith in Jesus, if he would renounce his Christianity. But he refused, and he chooses his cup to remain in prison, to fulfill his purpose here on earth, to be a prisoner for Christ and to preach the gospel. We read how Jesus went to his disciples. He showed them the proof of the holes and the gouges in his hand and his side, and he did that to restore their faith, and he sets them back on track. He even speaks of forgiveness, reminding them of their calling and their purpose here on earth. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he breathes on them and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. I am positive that Jesus visits Pastor Saeed in the midst of his darkness and his despair there in his prison cell and encourages him to press on. Maybe not in the physical sense, but be assured that the locks and chains of that prison cell cannot keep Jesus out of the heart of Pastor Saeed. I am positive that the Holy Spirit lives within Pastor Saeed, that the Holy Spirit breathes in him new life every time he needs it and speaks to and through him. I'm amazed to see how Pastor Saeed has totally surrendered his life to be used by God to minister to the other prisoners, to the prison guards, and even to the country of Iran and our great nation of America. For everyone who has accepted Christ as their Savior, the Holy Spirit is not just a part of the Trinity, but it is an essential part of our Christian walk. It is impossible to convince and to convert sinners without the Holy Spirit working on the inside of you. Isn't it encouraging to know That when we are facing our greatest challenge and fear has immobilized us, that Jesus can still come through in any situation and put us back on our feet. That what the devil meant for evil, Jesus turns around for good. Looking at verse 24, Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. How come? Where was Thomas? Well, we, know, we do know where he was not, and Thomas was not in church. Why not? Well, let's think about it. Thomas, like the other disciples, he gave up a lot to follow Jesus. He left his family, he left his, his job, he left his former life to be a part of that Elite Twelve, that Elite Twelve that was led by a miracle worker. Thomas dedicated years to traveling with Jesus and doing what he thought was right and what would dramatically change this world, that Jesus would establish his kingdom here on earth. But now, Thomas's hero Jesus was dead. And without Jesus, Thomas didn't have a lot of faith in his crew. Thomas knew firsthand how these guys chickened out and ran once the stakes got too high to follow Jesus. Heck, Thomas was one of them. But after Jesus appeared to the other disciples, they sought Thomas out. In 25 it says, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nails, nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Whoa, Thomas is in trouble. His faith barometer has just gone south big time. Even though 10 of his brothers are telling him that Jesus is alive, Thomas refuses to believe. Thomas earned himself a nickname because of that. They call him Doubting Thomas. He would not believe. But aren't we like Thomas at one time or another? We need to see it before we'll believe it. In times of discouragement, when things don't go our way the way we'd hope they go, especially after we've invested so much of our life into it, we become discouraged, so discouraged, that we often will disconnect. We're not praying as much anymore. We're reading the Bible less. We stop going to church. And we don't even want to see our brothers and sisters in Christ, much less hear anything that they want to preach to us. But I want to encourage you today, when you get in that predicament, Drag yourself here to church. Run to Jesus. Don't run from Jesus. And hopefully you belong to an Ohana group who will come looking for you if you've been MIA for a while. Because when you take yourself out of the game, you miss the opportunity for great victory and blessings. The Bible says not to forsake the assemblies of God's people. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, that he will be there. 26 says, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. See, the doors are still locked. Change is not always instantaneous, and it takes time to build or rebuild bold faith. Once we've suffered a setback. But the good news is, church is still happening there every week. The disciples are still showing up. And hallelujah, so is Thomas. Thomas is back on track. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my lord and my god then jesus told him because you have seen me you have believed blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed brothers and sisters my prayer for all of us is that we would believe in the power of his resurrection that we would know that because he lives when we are facing our greatest challenge, when we are in the depths of darkness and we think that our world is falling apart and fear has immobilized us, that Jesus will still come through for you and for me in any situation, no matter how difficult. When we've disconnected ourselves and we fall deep into darkness, Jesus has the power to turn the light back on. All we have to do is reconnect. You know, I wish I had the time to tell you the many, many, many situations I've been in when I thought all was lost and fear had just immobilized me. Yet, Jesus just, whoosh, came right in and broke those chains. But what the devil meant for evil, Jesus truly turned it around for good. So in closing, with this being the July 4th weekend, I want to read to you a part of Pastor Said Abedini's letter requesting prayer for this great nation of America. Pastor Said Abedini writes, Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I have been made aware that the National Day of Prayer, May 7, 2015, falls on my birthday this year. As an American, as a prisoner for Christ, I have spent many hours praying and crying out to God for revival of this great nation. We all hope for the success of our nation and for America to be blessed. But without revival, there can be no true success or blessing. As Ezra cried out to God in repentance and the Israelites joined him in weeping bitterly and turning from their sin, I would ask you to join me in repenting and praying for revival. Me, from the inside of these prison walls, and you on the outside. I think that this is the least that we can do for and with Pastor Saeed Abidini.